0: Get your day started with a breakfast full of positive music, fun, inspiration, and so much more. Rise and shine with Felon DJ. Weekday mornings on Vision. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. This episode of On the Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 2. We are beginning John chapter 17, and the entire chapter is devoted to Jesus' masterful intercessory prayer for His disciples. And not just the 11 faithful disciples, Judas Iscariot not counted. It's also, of course, for all that will follow Jesus in the future. That's you and me. So this prayer is for us all, and it's worth noting. And that's why we will have a verse-by-verse commentary of this prayer. So John chapter 17, the whole chapter, is entitled The Great Intercessor. And the title for this particular lesson is The Great Intercession Begins, based on John 17, verses 1 to 10. Now, first of all, let's understand what is intercession. Prayer in itself is asking and receiving of God. It's meant to actually be a dialogue, not a monologue. It's not us telling God what to do or bossing Him around. It's us Uploading to God our prayers, our praise, our thanksgiving, our supplication, our personal requests. But it also involves intercession, which is praying on behalf of others. Some liken it to standing in the gap between a holy God and a needy humanity. Or one person put it, intercession is prayer in the Holy Spirit on behalf of others. To me, intercession is a hallmark of Christian maturity. Because immaturity is prayer, where it's all about me, myself, and I, and all my needs. Whereas intercession, we actually are spending time in God's presence, asking for the needs of others. And this is very pleasing to the Lord. We also find that when we are consistent in intercession, things will happen. Even nations are changed because of the faithful intercession of God's people. So let's understand that God wants us to intercede. And that's one of the commands that he gives to Timothy through the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2. That we are to pray for kings and all who are in authority, that we may live quiet and peaceable lives. Let me read to you a few verses from our segment today. Overall is the great intercession begins John seventeen verses one to ten. Let me read from verse five and onward. And this is Jesus praying. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. All right. Jesus is saying some very powerful things here, and I'm only going to highlight a few of them at this point. He's asking God, to glorify himself with the glory that he had with God before the world was. Jesus is not asking this for selfish reasons. Jesus is asking this because it is God's will that Jesus came to this planet to bring glory to God. But how can he bring glory to God if he doesn't have glory himself? He can't give what he doesn't have. He needs the glory, and of course the glory will come not so much through the trial, the condemnation, the execution that Jesus will undergo. I believe the glory happens when, of course, he rises from the dead, is seen by many witnesses, ascends to heaven, dispatches the Holy Spirit, and it's poured out on the earth in Acts chapter 2. These are the places where glory is finally found in Christ. Now it's time to read the entire portion from John chapter 17, verses 1 to 10. Our lesson is called, The Great Intercession Begins. Again the reference, John 17, verses 1 to 10. Friends, let's listen carefully, because these are Jesus' words. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, Father, The hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Our reading is from John chapter 17, verses 1 to 10. And our lesson is called, The Great Intercession Begins. Friends, let me remind you that it is part of spiritual maturity. It is of the highest honor. It makes you in the league of what we call world changers. If you master the simple art of intercession, praying in the Holy Spirit on behalf of others, whether it's people you know, loved ones and friends, whether it's people you know about, or even people you don't know on the other side of the world. If you could pray the masterful prayer of intercession, you will make a wonderful difference in this world. You will definitely leave your mark. And while we're on the subject of intercession and praying in the Holy Spirit for others, may I add that one thing you can never go wrong doing is praying for the persecuted church. From Nigeria, to North Korea. Christians are suffering probably more than any time in our lives. It's terrible, but it's, in a sense, part of the end-time scenario. Because remember, Christian people represent God. God is getting ready to move powerfully and to intervene in human history, and Jesus is going to return. We don't know the day or hour, but we know he's coming. This is our blessed hope. So as the hour draws near, the devil, who knows his time is short, is very, very angry. And so since he can't, of course, lash out at God, God's too big for him, so he'll lash out at those who represent God. And that's where Christian people come in. So let's pray for them. Let's pray for their protection, for their provision that they receive the things they need to get on with life for advocacy, that there'll be people in high places that will advocate for them. In Not long ago, it was hard to find any world leaders speaking up for the persecuted church. Now there's more voices being lifted up. But we can help our leaders lift up their voice. It does help. So advocacy, protection, provision, and that God will give them great joy in the midst of suffering. Pray that kind of prayer. And remember the promise of Job, chapter 42, verse 10. Job forty-two ten says that the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. That's a promise worth holding on to. All right, John 17, 1. Master intercession begins. For the several chapters that we've just done, especially John chapters 14 to 16, Jesus gave discourses, or teachings to his disciples, preparing them for the rocky immediate future, but also for the glorious long-term future, the one that never ends. You will note that in red-letter Bibles, these chapters are mostly in red. Now we have another mostly red chapter here in John 17. However, the focus changes from Jesus speaking to the disciples to Jesus interceding With the Heavenly Father. John 17 is known as Christ's great intercessory prayer, the longest reported prayer in the Gospels coming from the mouth of the Savior. The Master is a master in many things, and one of those areas is prayer. He set the example for all of us. So we will get some priceless insights in prayer by studying John chapter 17. It starts with Jesus lifting his eyes to heaven and praying, Father, after all, heaven is the source of the answers for everything we face. That's why instead of looking to people who are limited and flawed and finite, let's look to God, who is unlimited, flawless, and able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So we're praying to the Father, we who follow Jesus can and should begin prayer the same way, to the Heavenly Father. Isn't that how the Lord's Prayer begins, our Father, who art in heaven? Jesus says that the hour is come, a statement also made in John twelve twenty-three. What hour? The hour of his passion, suffering, death, and redemption for the world. Throughout John's gospel, the phrase was used that Christ's hour had not yet come. Not yet come, like in John 2, verse 4, John 7, verse 8, and 30, John 8, verse 20. Jesus is praying that the Father will glorify the Son so that the favor will be returned and the Son will glorify the Father. Because, frankly, unless the Son receives glory, he is not in a position to give glory back to the Father. Yes, the cross and the tomb will bring glory to the Father and the Son, thanks, of course, to the resurrection and the ascension. That leads us to John 17:2. All authority. Jesus acknowledges that God has given him authority over all flesh. To those God has given him, the Son grants the gift of eternal life. In other words, the Father gave the disciples to Jesus. Jesus is granting them the gift of eternal life, and it is a gift. We do not earn gifts. This gift is too priceless to earn. In fact, working forever and ever would not gain us this gift. So, since we can't earn the gift, it's graciously and pricelessly bestowed on us by God, so let's receive it in faith and with gratitude. The great word God. For power, Jesus says, you've given me power, it is in the Greek exousia, exousia. Now, there's another word for power, dunamis, and dunamis is dynamite power, of course. That's where we get the English word. Exousia means delegated authority or power. So God delegated power and authority to Christ so that he can do the work he was given to do. Now, in John 17, verse 3, is a very important thing. Here, Jesus actually defines what eternal life is. It's the only place in the Gospels that I know such a definition is granted. What is eternal life? According to Jesus, it means to know the one and only true God. In other words, life is knowing God. And knowing Jesus Christ the one God has sent. You see, eternal life is experiential knowledge of the Father and the Son, and I believe I'm in order to add the Holy Spirit. And guess what? It takes all eternity to know God in fullness, in power, in indescribable splendor and glory. So eternal life means to know God. Friends, It's not enough to know about God. Many people do, but it's not enough. That will not get you through the pearly gates. It will not get you the gift of eternal life. It will not get you forgiveness of sins. You have to be one who knows God. That means you come to God. You surrender to God. You listen. You obey. You follow. I still feel the little bit of shudder when Jesus speaks to those who claimed to be ministering for his name, but he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. God forbid that would be said to any of us, but it is a possibility, otherwise it wouldn't be said in Scripture. So eternal life is glorious because we actually do know God, not just about God, and we are safely on his territory now and forever. John 17:4, mission accomplished. Jesus confidently affirms that he glorified God on earth and finished the work He was sent to do. This is one of the reasons the Father said from heaven, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." That's from Matthew three verse 17. And then in John 17:5, it's called mutual glorification. the Father and the Son. Jesus now asks the Father to glorify both of them with the same glory he had before the world was. What a remarkable phrase. Jesus affirms that, unlike the rest of us, he had a pre-existence before the foundation of the world. He had glory in the past. He is praying for glory now. And the glory reserved in the future is bound to be as superlative as anything imagined. That brings us to John 17, verse 6. Manifested thy name. In Jesus' wonderful prayer, he highlights the name and glory of the Father to the disciples, the men given to Christ from the world. The disciples belonged to God, and God gave them to Christ. These long-term followers, who did not turn away like the others... Do you remember in John 6 and verse 66, many disciples turned away from Jesus, but not the twelve? These long term disciples kept God's word. And when you keep God's word, the benefits are everlasting. That leads us to John 17, verse 7. They know these disciples finally understood that all things the Father gave Christ are from God. Of course. And so what Jesus received from God, he's also going to pass on to them, including exousia and dunamis, delegated authority and Holy Spirit power. Then John 17, verse 8, yes to the word. The disciples received God's word via Jesus, and they received the word gratefully. They have been affirmed that Christ came from God, and they now believe that God has sent Christ. Took a while for the penny to drop, but they got it. They understand. Although they'll be far more understanding as they are baptized in the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And then John seventeen nine, not for the world. Christ's intercessory prayer is for his followers, not for the world. These followers of Christ belong to God. And God gave them to him. And it's not just the followers, meaning the eleven. It's also the followers in the future, including us today. Final verse, John seventeen ten: mutual ownership. All that is Christ belongs to God. And all that belongs to God is Christ. Jesus is glorified in the disciples. And this will become more obvious In the book of Acts. So there we have it. The beginning of a great masterful prayer. And there is more which we will cover in the next lesson. But for now remember, this lesson is called The Great Intercession Begins. And our lesson for life is this. Prayer is our lifeline to God. And Christ's intercessory prayer proves